Hello, goblins and ghouls, and welcome to my Haunted Life podcast. I'm your host, Angela Hartshore. Am I your ghost host? No, we're not going there yet. And today, I'm telling you all about the ghost ships of Astoria. Dun, 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 dun. We're going really Scooby-Doo on this one. Good morning, goblins and ghouls. How is everyone doing out there today? I hope it's a great day for you because, let's be honest, you deserve it. I don't know about you guys, but the whole new moon slash solar eclipse thing just kind of wiped me out, like, severely. So, that's why you're getting your podcast a day late. But it's here. So, a little bit of housekeeping. This is the last technically in Astoria story. I wasn't sure if I was actually going to do this episode. I've been working on the next episode a lot. And, uh, it's a lot. So, I needed a little bit of a mental break. And let's be honest, ghost ships are just... They're just fun. They're just, you know, we all grew up watching Scooby-Doo and shit like that. <laughs> so I felt like this was a fun little reprieve. Plus the next episode is us leaving Astoria and I wasn't ready for that. Plus I needed an excuse to post all of my photos from the Maritime Museum. Because it is such a cool little museum. Anyways, um, do I have any more housekeeping? Not much. Um, if you follow the Heart and Horn page, you will have seen that I was just named the Arcane Sorceress for the Arcane Vampire Ball coming up later this month uh, in Denver, if y'all are local. So, that's pretty cool. Uh, I'm leading the Midnight Ritual. So, if you're around, come by and say hi, because it's going to be so much fun. I love talking to my podcasty folks outside of podcasty work. I think it's fun. And I just like meeting everybody. And I'm not in Denver that much, so take advantage. Just saying. Uh... I'm like, is there any other vampire-related news? Probably, but I can't think of it at the moment. Anyways, so, on this week's episode, we are talking all about ghost ships that have been reported near Astoria. Nice and simple. And there's, surprisingly, a couple. I don't know why I say surprisingly, because as we've seen with the graveyard of the Pacific, there's a lot of stuff that's happened out there. So, I have four stories I'm going to tell you about. And some of these are documented in the local newspaper. So, I'm really excited about that. So, let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea. Let, let, let's go with whiskey this time. 
I think I think we should add whiskey to our tea this time. It goes with the Mariner vibe. Maybe make sure the doors are locked and the sage is close by. I have a story to tell you. One of the coolest places we went to visit while we were in Astoria was the wreck of the Peter Erdale. Technically, you have to go to Warrington to see the wreckage, but it's close, and it's always said to be in Astoria. I don't know why that is, but it's really, it's so cool. It, it's oddly eerie. We went fairly early in the morning at low tide, which is when they tell you to go so you can actually see it. The wind was, of course, howling. The way we came up to it was a little, a little shocking. Warrington is this cute little area. What you would picture if you imagined a modern fishing town, I think. It reminded me of the little town my grandma lives in. A lot of cute little grandma houses. As you drive out of town, you are just like, bam, hit with jungle that pops out of nowhere. It's so funny. It's like tall grass versus jungle. You start driving through this very lovely state park with signs that point you to the wreck and different campgrounds. I was so oddly amused by like wreck of peter erdale campground number three and a lot of the state parks were like that um next week we talk about a place called dead man's hollow and it's like dead man's hollow beard's hollow campground it's like this is weird the names i know i have talked about this ad nauseum but this area might have been the lushest, thickest, greenest area we saw the whole trip. Probably helps it was right on the ocean. And then, it was gone. Like, you come through Warrington, there's this swath of the jungle state park. And then, it's back to tall grasses again. It, it was interesting. It just like gave way to rolling hills with knee-high tall grass and then sand. Tall hills of sand. Not like that classic beach that everybody pictures when you say beach. This is North Cold Beach. We parked in the parking lot there that looked like it had been dug out of the sand quite recently, but I have a feeling it's been dug out again. Like, recently, you could tell the asphalt's been there for a while, but I think they just have to keep digging out the sand as it comes back down. When I got out of the car, there was this loud roaring that is, it's the best way I can describe it. Maybe it was early and my caffeine hadn't kicked in yet, Paired with my ignorance of the environment we were in, but I looked at my husband and just said, well, that's disappointing. Just randomly. And my husband was very confused and asked what I was talking about. 
And I said, the fact that there is construction going on somewhere, and we're not going to be able to enjoy the sound of the sea. Because it's so loud. My husband realized what I was talking about and decided to let me figure it out by myself. We hiked up the sand hill, which from the top of the hill, I could see that there was a little trail on the other side of the parking lot that would have been so much easier than directly going up the freaking sand. For any of my Colorado peeps, which I know there's quite a bit of you, imagine going up the uh, great sand dunes, but wet and oddly like harder. It was, I've been on beaches, that's the only way I could describe this. It's that heavy sand. And then suddenly you get to the top of this hill and there's the ocean. The Pacific Ocean just reaches out and it's this cloudy overcast day. So the clouds are almost as gray as the water. And it's just so beautiful and ominous at the same time time it was definitely where the roaring was coming from it was so loud i i was shocked like we watched the waves crash on top of each other and then flow onto the beach and then there rose the skeleton of the peter erdale right on the water line it is haunting, to say the least. I, uh, I don't know what it is, man. There's something about the ocean up there. Like, the northern, cold, scary ocean that is just so amazing and powerful. It's so cool. And then there's this rusted skeleton of this old ship that just reaches out from the sand and it's this red rust whereas everything else is gray and beige and some green around it so it really really stands out it is it is just so haunting like you're out there just experiencing the power of nature and then being reminded that nature could take it, take you out if you want. But yeah, the, the ship hall is just so haunting. So I'm going to read you this lovely little segment about the Peter Erdale from Haunted Astoria by Jefferson Davis and well I'm going to read you about the ending of the Peter Erdale. The last leg of the Peter Erdale's final voyage began on 26 September 1906 oh almost my birthday in Santa Cruz Mexico. She set out with a crew of 27 and 1,000 tons of ballast. The crew found two stowaways 
who later wished they had stayed in Mexico. She was on her way to the Pacific Northwest to fill her hold, hold with wheat, probably for transport to the Orient. The ship sailed for several weeks, approaching the mouth of the Columbia River. Early on the morning of 25th October, the lookout sighted the Talamook Rock Lighthouse. The captain adjusted course to pass close to the lighthouse, planning a course that would take them to the Columbia River Lightship, which we've talked about quite a bit in our uh, Colossal Claude episode. The Peter Erdale found the lightship, but encountered heavy fog and lost her way. A pilot vessel based out of Astoria usually sailed those waters. Its experienced captain could have guided the Peter Erdale through the water safely. Unfortunately, it was docked in Astoria for repairs. The winds shifted to the west. This change signaled the captain the this change signaled the captain his ship's danger from a combination of the wind, a north northern ocean current, and changing tide. The forces drove his ship toward the sandbar at the mouth of the Columbia. He attempted to steer away from the river, but the weather became worse and the ship ran aground. The crew of the United States life-saving station in Hammond reached the Peter Erdale and rescued all aboard. A later court of inquiry found the captain and crew innocent of the loss of the Peter Erdale. The ship slid, slidded up in a storm and eventually became buried. The Maritime Museum has photos that they put together in a time-lapse of the decay of the Peter Erdale. I tell you all about this ship. I have to tell you, the Peter Erdale might be one of the few not haunted ships in Astoria. Remember, I said it was haunting, not haunted. In everything I could find, there are no ghosts attached to the wreckage. Probably because everybody survived. And everything I have read about there being no hauntings seems disappointed that there are no ghosts. Personally, I agree. Because I feel like there should be ghosts. It looks so much like it should be haunted. The ocean just has this, its own energy and force that is just pal palatable out there. You can feel it. We explored the wreckage and walked along the beach until the tide came up. It definitely gave you a better appreciation for the graveyard of the Pacific. Now, what graveyard would be complete without a couple of ghosts though? That's why we're here. The Peter Erdale might not be haunted, but there are plenty of other ghost ships, missing crew, and other mysteries around. In my adventures, I came across a couple of books about the hauntings in the area. I have cited them in the sources multiple times now during our Astoria chapter here. 
So you have probably heard these names a few times now. The following stories come from Haunted Astoria by Jefferson Davis and Haunted Graveyard of the Pacific by Ira Wesley Kitchmacher. All right, our first ghost ship is the General Warren. One wreck involved the side-wheeler General Warren, which kind of looks like a steamboat if you look at the picture, um, which struck land in heavy weather at the Clapsop Spit on January 31st, 1852. Hey, that's my husband's birthday with 42 men on board. The spit was a low sand beach, subject to extensive shifting, which was often invisible to the naked eye and covered by water. No lighthouse existed there, but the necessity for one had been urged repeatedly. When the General Warren began leaking after striking the spit, Captain Charles Thompson launched a small boat with 10 men on board to seek help in Astoria. Once reaching Astoria, the crew sought and received help from Captain Beard of the steamer George and Martha. When the combined crew returned to the disaster, to their horror, they found no remnants of the wreck, passengers or crew. 32 perished, the only survivors being the 10 who sought help. Two victims' bodies washed ashore, a newlywed couple on their way to San Francisco for their honeymoon. It was reported that the groom had $160 in his jacket pocket and the bride had a gold ring engraved with a heart on her left ring finger. They were still holding hands when they were found washed ashore. Given the history of the graveyard, it doesn't take much of an imagination to see the spirits of the newlyweds haunting the area in which they died. Could the winds, which seem to carry whisper voices and moans, be carrying the words of the newlyweds' ghost? It could be that their frantic efforts to stay alive, stay alive together with the shock of tragedy and inevitability of death would leave the victim's spirits restless. Two years later, in 1854, the Warren's entire, entire shattered frame washed ashore 60 miles north of Clatsop. So this story from Clotted Graveyard of the Pacific, I've seen a lot more elaborated on where people have seen the spirits of the newlyweds out near this area. And one of the stories I read was they were dancing on the beach together, like a lovely waltz and I hope that's true, because at least that's really romantic for them in the end. 
At least they were together forever, I guess. The whole thing is so sad. All right, our next story comes from the Daily Morning Historian on June 22nd, 1878, with the headline, An Optical Delusion. There is just at this time a question being discussed at Fort Canby as to whether the people are visited by a veritable ghost or whether it is an optical delusion. If it is a ghost, it is a lively one. If an optical delusion, it is a success. The whatever it is has appeared on several occasions of late at various places on the Cape in close proximity to the habitations of man, but never so close to anyone as to the first officer of the steam launch Catata last Wednesday night. Captain B.F. Stevens had gone ashore looking for a lost net belonging to Badolt and Company, and he left word with the first officer, Mr. Frank Hobson, that he would be back before bedtime to be taken on board. The Ketara was anchored in the bay. Mr. Hobson, upon receiving the notice, went ashore and while sitting on the dock, observed what he supposed to be Captain Stevens coming down to go on board. He spoke to him, or it, but receiving no answer, approached him, or it, when it very suddenly disappeared. Frank hadn't heard the ghost story, and in fact, he isn't very much on the run anyway, but thinking the sudden disappearance in the dark was a sort of a lark on the part of the object, which he had taken to be a man, he looked around a while and finally observed it on the opposite side from where they had met before. Not wishing to be outdone, he approached it the second time when it as mysteriously disappeared as before, but this time down under the bridge leading to the garrison. As quick as thought, Frank leapt over the bank and followed it closely, but failing to find it, such sundry rocks after it into the darkness, until finally he seated himself on the side of the bridge and with a piece of the cape in each fist, waited for it to appear again. It didn't come anymore, but Captain Stevens soon arrived as he had heard of the ghost, was prepared to explain the apparition. Frank says he is going to interview the ghost again, the first chance he has and find out what it represents. Since he has heard that it was a ghost, 
he thinks it must have been some relative of the Emperor Maximus or the variable Gabara who was brought out of Arabia as a ghost in the days of Claudius. I don't know what most of that last part means, but okay. Also, all the run-on sentences and all the it's, I just would like to, you guys to know, are in quotations. So that's why I read them that way. Gotta love Victorian writing. It's my favorite, man. Another story from the Daily Morning Historian is dated January 28, 1881, and the headline reads, Phantom ship in the Columbia River. Captain E. D. Brooke of the steamer Westport furnishes us with the particulars of some mysterious object seen in the Columbia River on Friday night, last between eight and nine o'clock. What it was is yet a mystery to all who witnessed it and that some light might be thrown in the subject. We gave this statement. We give this statement, there we go, from Captain Brooke, the truthfulness of which is vouched for by all on board. He says, I left Astoria for Westport via Hungary Harbor at five o'clock on Friday last. When I reached Pillar Rock, I saw two lights in range of Woody Island, supposing them to be on shore. But as I neared Brookfield, the lights came along, along up the ship channel. I thought then that they were the lights of the Bart Wedfoot. I stopped at Brookfield to land freight during which time the object got as far as the Fisherton Cannery. When I started up again, I kept after it in the ship channel and constantly gained on it. When I reached Bayview, I was within 200 yards of the object, which was then on my port bow and near shore when I remarked to the pursuer who was in the pilot house that it was about time the ship as we supposed it was was keeping out from shore i put my wheel to port to give her more room i gave all the time and when the gamorola we were side by side not more than 200 feet apart i was just about to blow the whistle when the lights disappeared and nothing more could be seen. One was a bright light, which appeared to be hung on the masthead. Another was a red light appearing to be on the mizzen mast. And every few moments, we could see a number of small lights as they were on deck. The object before its disappearance was moving up river against a strong northeasterly breeze. The wet foot 
did not leave Astoria until the following Sunday morning, and no other vessel was in that part of the river at the time. What it is, is a conundrum, and could perhaps be solved by the author of The Flying Dutchman. Our last story today comes from Haunted Graveyard of the Pacific. And it's technically the most recent one. I tried to do the stories in chronological order, but I also think it might be the most chilling. And I feel that Mr. Kitchmacher wrote about it beautifully. The J.C. Cousins, the 66-foot-long schooner J.C. Cousins, built in 1863, was formerly a luxury private yacht and later, starting in 1881, operated as one of the two Astoria pilot boats. On October 6, 1883, the crew of four sailed off Flatsop spit to await ships needing to be guided across the ever-dangerous bar. All appeared normal at first, but by late afternoon, things became strange. The Cousins was observed to be on the move, but it wasn't clear why, as there were no ships in need of assistance. Further, the Cousins was sailing through the treacherous breakers at the edge of the channel rather than the calm water a few dozen yards away. It cleared the breakers, heading to the sea, but then a few miles offshore, it turned around and headed back to the bar again. When it got there, it once again turned around and headed back to the open ocean. It continued its erratic pattern until darkness fell. Some described it as seeming possessed. The next morning, a group of worried Astorians stood on the shore, watching the cousins continuing its strange back and forth across the Columbia. The Astorians wondered aloud if this odd behavior was somehow linked to the treacherous graveyard of ships. Around 1 p.m., the cousins headed back toward the land, this time making no attempt to turn back around. Described as churning through the surf with sails rigged and full of wind, the cousins slammed onto the beach and tilted over onto its side. The onlookers ran to help, but couldn't get near the wreck until several hours later at low tide. Nothing had moved on the deck of the J.C. Cousins. The ship looked lifeless. When the Astorians reached the Cousins, it is said they were stunned to find it empty and deserted. Both lifeboats were gone, and all the paperwork was missing from the wheelhouse, suggesting the vessel had been deliberately abandoned. There was no sign of the crew, and none of them were ever heard from again. 
despite search efforts. Later, one of the cousin's two lifeboats washed ashore, but the oars were still landed, indicating it had probably been washed overboard and not used to escape. Locals started speculating as to the cause of this strange event. One theory was that one crew member, a Mr. Zybrier, little known to anyone in town, had been hired by the J.C. Cousins competitors as a rat to murder the crew members and wreck the ship. The Cousins was in competition with the prominent Astorian captain, George Favelle's nautical monopoly. We know all about the Favelle family. Some mariners on returning to Astoria from ports in East Asia claimed to have seen Zabar there alive and well. Other more fanciful theories focused on the graveyard's habit of swallowing ships and claiming lives were discussed at local taverns. These theories included a sea monster, giant squid, whale or shark getting the men or a mutiny in which the crew members murdered each other. Astoria is home to a significant number of proud Finnish Americans, and one of the sea monsters discussed may have been the Terraris, a Finnish mythical being that is said to be gargantuan, fierce oct octopus-type creature related to the mythical Kraken. It is also suggested that it could have been a ghost ship bearing down on the cousins, frightening the crew so badly that they crashed looking for a way off the boat. There are more logical conclusions, such as the crew panicking and entering one of the lifeboats, only to have it go down with all on board. It could have been an accident adverse weather conditions, waves, alcohol, exhaustion, suicide, or piracy. It could have been Fata Morgana? Morgan? Fata Morgana? Usually experienced on land, seeing water on land, a mirage where there is none, leading the crew to see things that were not there. This phenomenon has been reported at sea before. Mariners believe they see, for example, a beautiful tropical island, jump into the ocean and head for it and disappear. But if one of these logical theories is correct, why did the cousins sail back and forth erratically for 12 to 24 hours? Perhaps it was instead Caliture, the irresistible impulse to jump into the sea. Usually, though, not always, brought on after a week or more of voyaging with no contact with land. Some sailors have reported imagining the sea to be a green field and wishing to jump into it. The forward motion of the ship seems to enhance Kalkendra. 
Kutcher. That's hard to say. Others have reported imaginary voices encouraging them to jump in. Whatever the case, the mystery of the J.C. Cousins has not been solved in over 137 years. But according to the state of Washington's Department of Archaeology and Historic Preservation, the Cousins was not the only ship to have a crew disappear. More than 10 ships have gone down in the graveyard with no trace of their crew, and sometimes no trace of the ship itself. The following are 10 such vessels. November 20th, 1852, Schooner, Michigan, unknown number of dead, left Astoria from San Francisco with a cargo of lumber and a crew of nine. Shortly thereafter, a heavy gale hit the coast. Neither the Michigan nor its crew were heard from again. December 21st, 1859, Schooner Rambler, four dead, washed up on Cladsop Spit upside down. The Rambler left Nye Bay in northernmost Washington state for San Francisco with pelletries, untreated pelts, and oil after fur trading with natives to the north. No trace of the crew was ever found. December 27, 1860. Bark? Len Lenonzi? Nine dead, washed up on Clatsup Spit upside down. No trace of the crew was ever found. November 22, 1875. Schooner Sunshine, 25 dead, washed up on Washington State's Long Beach Peninsula just north of Astoria, upside down. No trace of the people on board was ever found. October 24, 1880. Barkentine? Maka? Eleven dead, washed up on Tillamook Head, capsized. The Maka had been en route from Port Discovery, Washington, just north of Seattle, to Sydney, Australia with lumber. No crew, no sign of the crew was ever found. January 4th, 1890, Schooner Dearborn, unknown number of dead, discovered capsized, but afloat off the mouth of the Columbia River. No trace of the crew was ever found. December 11th, 1900, Bark Andrada, unknown number of dead, disappeared off the mouth of the Columbia River and was believed to have sunk off the Washington coast with all hands on board. January 16, 1901, Bark Cape Wrath, it's a hell of a name, 15 dead, en route from Peru, South America, to Portland, was sighted off the mouth of the Columbia River, but neither the Cape Wrath nor its crew were ever seen again. Oh, it's all, it almost made it. It was almost there. 
December 1909, schooner Susie M. Palmer, 12 dead, left Everett, Washington for San Pedro in South America with a cargo of lumber. It was discovered off Cape Flattery, Flattery, seemingly abandoned by its 12-men crew. Only the Susie M. Palmer's cargo kept it afloat until it washed ashore in San Joseph Bay in Canada weeks later. No trace of the crew was ever found. And the last one, February 28, 1918, Schooner Americana, 11 dead, cleared the Columbia River bar with a cargo of lumber en route to Australia. No trace of the Americana or its crew was ever found. The waters around Astoria, as we have seen, are incredibly dangerous. Whether it's because of the Pacific Ocean, the Columbia River, weather conditions, shifting sands, or more paranormal reasons like sea monsters and ghost ships. Astoria has earned the moniker of Ghostoria. I hope you all enjoyed our adventures in Astoria as much as I did. I'm really gonna miss the sea lions, not gonna lie. And we found some great little bars. So if you get a chance, definitely visit. I barely scratched the surface of the history and the hauntings in Astoria. There was so much. So I only wanted to talk about the things I personally got to experience. Technically, I didn't get to experience ghost ships, of course, unfortunately. But I did get to experience the Maritime Museum and the Columbia River. So, it counts. But yeah, I'm really gonna miss the sea lions. Next week, we are technically moving on to Washington, like right on the boundary of Oregon and Washington, and exploring a couple of lighthouses with some dark history. Thank you to everyone out there listening today. My Haunted Live podcast is written, researched, produced, edited, and hosted by me, Angela Hartshorn. If you are interested in more pictures, info, and my sources for this week's episode, please make sure to check out the website, My Haunted Live Podcast, and for everything, including all the pictures, check out the Patreon page. Your one-stop shop for everything My Haunted Life, where can also help support the show for as little as $2 a month. If you have information about today's show, or you just want to tell me a, a ghost story, uh, please email me at myhauntedlifepodcast at gmail.com or write me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, all at myhauntedlifepodcast. And when you're there, 
please like and follow and comment. It honestly makes my day. Music is by Ghost Stories Incorporated and Michael Gelfi. And that's it for this week's show. I'll see you all next week on my Haunted Life podcast. And until then, stay spooky.